This is the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville, our award-winning mix of special programs and homemade radio features. We're finding our way through our strange new COVID-19 reality. Are we safe in this new normal? Isn't that the $64,000 question? What is our own level of comfort? We'll talk with Hudson Alpha's Dr. Neil Lamb and with the Huntsville-Madison County Chamber of Commerce about a new online effort aimed at helping local businesses survive. As this goes on, it's still going to be a while before it's easier for these companies. The Land Trust of North Alabama says there's always natural beauty waiting to be discovered. You can kind of hit a reset with some time outside. Colleges and students are also trying to find their footing as higher education plans for upcoming semesters. We've had some experience with transitioning. It's just doing it in a different We'll be exploring Alabama's new normal in the next hour. That's next on the Public Radio Hour, here on 89.3 Huntsville. This is the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville, our award-winning mix of special programs and homemade radio features. I'm your host, Katie Ganaway, with Brett Tannehill Producing. Welcome to the first episode in our series on the new normal in Alabama. On April 30th, Governor Kay Ivey replaced the stay-at-home order with the safer-at-home order, allowing some of us to shake off the cabin fever blues and begin to trek back into the world. Tonight, we focus on the initial phase of the safer-at-home order. In the next hour, we'll give you a sense of the new normal for the coming summer and fall semesters at Alabama colleges and universities. The Land Trust of North Alabama shares tips on where to find beauty along our local nature preserves and trails. And Dr. Neil Lamb gives us insight into the science of safety as we begin to explore our new COVID-19 reality. A big part of our new normal is finding ways to reopen businesses, which is critical to connecting you with the goods and services you need. It's also critical for generating the tax revenue we need to fund schools, government agencies, and other things necessary for society to operate. The cities of Huntsville and Birmingham have launched a digital platform designed to help Alabama business owners stay in business. In March, three lifelong friends in Birmingham debuted a website designed to help local businesses stay afloat for the duration of the COVID-19 pandemic. Known as the Local Distancing Project, the site serves as a platform for Alabama's retail and service industry, promoting various ways consumers can help sustain local businesses. Recently, Huntsville partnered with the Local Distancing Guys. Vince Perez, the project's media liaison, says the Local Distancing idea emerged from a personal connection. Just two months ago, Vince Perez and his friends, Dylan Spencer and Trey Oliver, created the local distancing website to showcase local restaurants and retail open for business in the Birmingham area. Initially, it was to help mom-and-pop shops get better exposure and to set up gift cards for their businesses. Now there are project partners in Huntsville, Mobile, and the Shoals. Claire Aiello, Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Huntsville-Madison County Chamber of Commerce, says it was a no-brainer for her team once they learned about this effort. The message is clear that you can support local businesses right now. As this goes on, it's still going to be a while before it's easier for these companies. It's still going to be challenging in the weeks and months to come. 
With the help from the Local Distancing Project, our local chamber launched a partner site called GetYourGiftOn.org. ILO says business owners in retail, food, and service industries who want to participate are vetted through the chamber with a bit of criteria. We just ask that they provide a gift card link and it's for a product or a service or food. If people can buy a gift card to their business, we're good. We've opened this up to all businesses in the community, not just chamber members. Each city decides its own vetting protocol, and Perez says that's worked so far. No problems have arisen in keeping the websites balanced. For example, the Birmingham site observes a one-card policy. The way we've tried to do it to this point, we try to have one card per business because ultimately there's three locations that supports all three if they buy a gift card. Perez says small businesses get their fair shot thanks to a randomization feature built into each website, where locally owned franchises of corporate businesses count too. If you really think back, who sponsored your Little League t-ball team? Sometimes, yeah, that's a local mom-and-pop place, but sometimes it's also you know the local Chick-fil-A. We didn't want to be too stringent, and we're still kind of figuring out how does it retain its core goal of helping local businesses without being too limiting. A major bonus of the Huntsville site, and all other local distancing partner sites, is there is no fee to apply or to even claim a spot on the site. When asked how the site could stay relevant and evolve once the pandemic has ended, Aiello says we'll just have to wait it out and see. I do think this site will be relevant for the coming months, and we know that it won't be relevant forever, but we want it to help now. We want to keep these businesses alive and, and supported now so that they will be here down the road. For 89.3 Huntsville, I'm Katie Ganaway. Huntsville's website is getyourgifton.org. It's easy to navigate and filter what you're looking for. If your business is interested in applying, simply visit that site and click Submit a Business if you want to support businesses in other areas of the state, such as Mobile, Birmingham, or the Shoals, visit localdistancing.com about. There you can also learn more about the project and its founders. And one more thing to note, the Huntsville site is intended to highlight local businesses in Madison County, but the Chamber says it's willing to consider companies from surrounding areas as well, such as Decatur or Hartzell. This is the Public Radio Hour on member-supported 89.3 Huntsville. I'm your host, Katie Ganaway. For the next few weeks, we'll be exploring the new normal, which we're all trying to adjust to in the strange COVID-19 reality we're living in. These are unprecedented times, and it's easy to be overwhelmed with all the new information on the coronavirus. At some point, we all need to step away and seek a moment of solace. To do that, more and more of us are turning to nature. Melanie Manson with the Land Trust of North Alabama says rushing waterfalls and brightly colored flowers in bloom can help you find peace. Luckily, nature preserves are great places to, you know, experience social distancing safely and also just keep moving and get out of your house for a little bit, too. We have eight nature preserves, mostly around the Huntsville area, um, so all pretty close and um, easy to access. And they all kind of offer a little bit different things. We have over 70 miles of trails. So 
So you just kind of, you can go to our website and find trail maps and decide which nature preserve you want to explore. And each one, we provide a little bit of description of what you might find there. And as you mentioned, waterfalls are a great thing to look for right now. Um, spring, you know, lots of rain. And so that means really great waterfalls to hike to. So what do you think the most important thing is about connecting with nature in a time like this, you know, going to see that beautiful waterfall? Like I said, sometimes our activities are limited right now. So getting out in nature is a great option for a lot of people. Our trails have experienced an incredible amount of traffic, and I'm excited that some new people seem to be getting out on our nature preserves and um, maybe hiking who didn't hike before. Um, And I think everybody really needs some time in nature, whether they realize it or not. Sometimes because we're uh, a little removed from it in modern life, we don't always get that time. And then the moment you do, you realize how important it is to just kind of experience some of the simple things and just, you know, enjoy some of like the stuff you just don't get to see every day if you're just driving around town. Luckily, Huntsville has some really great places where you can do that and some easy access beyond our land trust nature preserves. The city of Huntsville and the city of Madison have spectacular greenways. The state park is still open and available. So luckily, we do have a lot of spaces in this area to um, enjoy that time. And while a lot of that is open right now and people can, you know, get in their cars and go enjoy that on a beautiful sunny day like this, There are some things that the land trust has had to postpone, and that includes right. like nature programs um, that you would normally have. But with much of the business sector reopening, would you say the land trust is going to follow suit and sort of restart those programs, like the plant, right. plant identification hikes or something like that? We'd love to. Um, we're kind of going to see what the recommendations are from you know our leaders and kind of follow those recommendations. But... As we're able to, especially when they change, um, if they start modifying kind of the recommendations for group size and that kind of thing, um, just the social restrictions, we'll re-implement a lot of those programs. We do a lot of guided hikes, and um, normally in the summertime, we offer a kids' education program that allows them to experience a lot, a lot of things about nature by visiting different properties and doing some hands-on activities. So we're really hoping that we can still offer those kinds of things to our community. And just like everybody else, we've had to modify some things, but we hope at least we'll be able to start getting back to normal scheduled Mm -hmm. programming, I guess. Mm -hmm. And those modifications, of course, are to keep everybody safe. So what sort of new practices will be implemented to help keep the kids safe for these programs Mm -hmm. or, you know, for the adult hikes? Well, you know, um, like I said, I think we'll follow whatever recommendations we get from leadership as far as how to um, return to normal as much as possible, but continue doing it safely. Right now, you know, we're still encouraging everybody, even if you're on the trails, to maintain that six-foot separation. Mm -hmm. Our trailheads are sometimes getting busy with just more people visiting than we're even used to seeing on a regular basis. So, just kind of maintaining those distances, and we'll probably try to keep group sizes to, you know, a lower threshold than we normally would, you know, implementing some sanitation practices that we may not have thought of before, but in a changing world, we're kind of seeing where some of those things are important to think about. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to make some changes to how we do things, but 
luckily, nature offers a lot of ways to do all of that safely. I've noticed on your website, landtrustnal.org, there is actually a really great uh, section people can check out that have tips on how to keep safe. Can you talk about a couple of those tips that you have posted there? Like I mentioned, the six-foot separation is the big thing, and that includes, like, if you take your dog with you, that's one of those things we don't think about. But six-foot separation, we're asking everybody to take their trash with them, and that is more to keep our land trust land stewards safe mm-hmm. since they're kind of um, maintaining that trash collection, and we're seeing some really heavy traffic um, on our trails. Uh, I mentioned trailhead parking, so just if you come to one of our nature preserves and the parking is really full, we have eight nature preserves in the area. And like I mentioned, some of the other places you can go out, the city of Huntsville or the state park has some spots. But So maybe try a place you've never been to before. If the one you typically frequent is a little busier than you would think, our pavilions and playgrounds are closed. And then we also closed our disc golf course. So there's just some things like that where you have a little bit of different operations. But otherwise, all of our trails are open and can go explore with your family or, you know, get out with your your pet. (laughs) (laughs) Another big sort of disappointing yet definitely necessary cancellation was the Three Caves concert for this year, which is always a huge hit for Huntsville um, and Mm -hmm. the surrounding area. So... Is there any plan in place to maybe move it digitally, uh, maybe on the Land Trust Facebook page? You were going to have Larkin Poe, uh, the yeah, sister duo. So we're yeah. actually talking with them about rescheduling for the fall. So tentatively, we're kind of looking at October, and I really hope that'll work out because we were looking forward to it. So our June concert right now is the only one that's been canceled. So as of right now, our August concert, um, which is featuring Tab Benoit, is still on the schedule. Hopefully we can get um, Larkin Poe rescheduled for the fall and have that one just a little later, and maybe it would be even cooler and the weather would be perfect. So (laughs) we're just kind of hoping for the best that we can still make that happen. But I think that's a great idea, though. With all these cancellations of events that normally raise interest in what the Land Trust does and raises Mm -hmm. money for the Land Trust, like the Three Caves concert, What sort of changes have you noticed, negative or positive? I mean, I think just like everyone else, we're experiencing some challenges with this situation, and that's definitely one. Um, You know, like a lot of other nonprofits, having to cancel a fundraising event is a huge deal for us. And just everyone is kind of experiencing some economic challenges. So we are starting to already see that reflected in our membership renewal numbers, unfortunately. Um, But we understand that and really hope that people will kind of reevaluate as we kind of continue through this and still understand the importance of why we're here, especially during this time when our trails have been such a place of solace for people to kind of get out and get some fresh air and a break from what is otherwise kind of a stressful time. I think that the Land Trust is especially relevant right now, um, and we're just hoping that our community will continue to um, support us in what we do. I'm a member, and I believe that what you do is very important for our community. There are some new land preservation efforts with the Land Trust, and that Mm -hmm. includes on Montesano and Green Mountain. Can you talk about those? Yeah, um, we are pursuing two land acquisitions um, this year, and one is on Green Mountain. It's part of our continued effort that's called Rivered to Gap 
which is the kind of a vision to create a connection from Blevins Gap to the Tennessee River. And we have a major portion of that already completed, but we're currently trying to raise the funds needed to purchase another critical piece of that stretch of conservation. And you can donate to that project on our website. The other project that we're pursuing is 122 acres on Montesano. So it's actually not directly connected to the Land Trust Nature Preserve, but it's directly connected to the state park. So it's on the northeast corner of the mountain. It actually includes some existing trails. You know, there's a lot of times people will just kind of blaze their own paths um, across the mountainside. And in this case, some of these trails were actually cutting across some land that was not public property. And so they're popular trails, though, and so we're trying to preserve that portion of the mountain. Anytime we can preserve some land on Montesano, we try to go after it if possible because that area is you know, becoming more and more developed throughout the years, and those opportunities aren't always as available. And if it has part of an existing trail system on it, that's even more important for us because we're we really feel it's important for people to get out and experience nature. Um, that's just part of understanding, you know, why we do what we do. Right. And that's a great way for people to help you guys and support you guys. But I also mm-hmm. want to ask you a question about something you guys are doing to help us for the people who, you know, may not be returning to their jobs because coronavirus may have shuttered the business that gave them that employment. You guys have an opportunity, a temporary job opportunity that's to do with honeysuckle removal. I want to know more about that, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do too. Yeah, we had an excellent opportunity. Um, Downtown Huntsville Inc. came to us, and they um, offered an opportunity for us to be involved. Downtown Charitable Fund is who actually provided the funding, and so this opportunity was offered to employees from downtown Huntsville businesses who were either unemployed or furloughed because of coronavirus. And we're trying to set them up as temporary employment for us, actually, to work at removing the invasive honeysuckle on Montesano Nature Preserve. So we did an orientation last week and a second orientation a few days ago. So we have a group of people already started working. So it's only for the downtown Huntsville businesses just because of the funding source mm-hmm. that we were, you know, that was available to us. But we're really excited to be able to, like you said, offer some help to those who need it. But then it's also benefiting, you know, the community and helping us combat that invasive honeysuckle that we're always trying to. It's a never-ending battle. Um, It grows really quickly, and it actually kind of chokes out the native species that would normally grow in these areas. And so it can be really detrimental, and we're trying to get rid of it where we can or at least Um, you know, reduce the impact. While people are enjoying the trails, enjoying the nature preserves, is there any way the land trust is trying to have a presence, you know, day to day on the trails, on the nature preserves, to ensure that those people are abiding by CDC guidelines? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our way of kind of combating that is just education. And we've tried to add as much um, signage as we can, Um, You know, adding that information to our website as many places as possible, Um, you know, putting it on social media. We've added some additional signage at some particular trailheads where we've noticed where there were problems with people congregating and things like that. Mm -hmm. So 
um, yeah, just trying to educate people as much as possible and make signage as visible as we, it needs to be in certain places where there might be some of those issues. You know, because it is, we, we want to make sure that these places continue to be safe spaces for people to go to, um, and that's definitely part of it, and everyone kind of has to make their own part of that and take responsibility Melanie, I want to ask you a couple of personal questions. I want to ask you, what are your favorite hiking trails? And what mm-hmm. are your favorite waterfalls to visit? And if, have you visited any of them during this time? Wildflower Trail on Montesano Nature Preserve is right down the street from me. So that is mm-hmm. definitely one of my favorites. I always recommend that one to families and then to anyone who's new to hiking because it's really easy to access. It's beautiful and just kind of an easier hike. And then, you know, our Green Mountain Nature Preserve is another one that's one of my favorites, and that one does include a waterfall. But actually, I think one of my favorite waterfall hikes, it's not the most spectacular waterfall, but it's just pretty and, again, easy to access and kind of in a spot where you might not even know that it would be there. But that is from our Fanning Trailhead on Blevins Gap Nature Preserve. So mm-hmm. it's actually on Cecil Ashburn, but um, on the lower end behind the Southeast Church of the Nazarene. So it's kind of hidden back in there, and you walk just a short distance from the trailhead. And there's a brand-new bridge that some volunteers built for us recently. And you can look both ways on either side of the bridge and look up and see some little falls and then down, and you kind of watch the water travel down the mountain, and it's just a really picturesque spot. And other than, you know, going out and connecting with nature, like many people are, how are you faring during this? Like, how are, how are you, I don't want to say staying sane, but I don't know <laughs> how else to say it, you know? Well, you know, I'm working from home like a lot of others, and so there are definitely some challenges just kind of continuing your normal day-to-day in a very not normal way. I think that like everyone else, we've realized how important just getting outside is and um, whether that's just a walk through our neighborhood or going on a hike. And so we've been doing a lot of that. There's just something really relaxing or kind of like you can kind of hit a reset um, with some time outside. Visit LandTrustNAL.org for a list of family activities and nature preserve locations, as well as recommendations from the Land Trust on how to prevent the spread of coronavirus on the trails. And a bonus, you'll also find instructions on how to participate in scavenger hunts and self-guided hikes. Speaking of self-guided, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed education in a major way. Classroom lectures have been replaced with distance learning, and students are left largely on their own to complete assignments and keep up with coursework. And as our new normal persists through the summer, more college students will be staying home to work toward their degree online. We spoke with Dr. Jim Purcell, Executive Director for the Alabama Commission on Higher Education. Dr. Purcell says he's never experienced anything like this before. There's certainly been downturns, but nothing as immediate and quick as what happened this time. And, you know, for Alabama schools, K-12 through and above, they are working toward distance learning. Teachers and students are adjusting to that sort of new education lifestyle. 
And that's happening in higher education, too. So I wonder, what has the online transition been like for traditional college students and um, educators? Well, it's definitely been a transition. About three-quarters of the faculty had never taught online, and about two-thirds of the students had never taken an online course. But instantly, within uh, you know two weeks, all of us were doing that. I think some of it is mostly just talking heads for a lot of people. And uh, in the future, as they think more thoughtfully through it, we'll be able to do it in a way that really does enhance the experience rather than just sort of try to mimic what we do on ground. And I wonder what sort of feedback you've been getting from students as to the difficulties in, you know, tr- making that transition. Like, what sort of difficulties are they facing? Well, there's uh, actually some students have, have said this transition is so quick, we're just not sure how our grades are going to change. We'd love to have our grades to be pass-fail. So uh, Auburn actually went out and did a petition, the students did, and uh, pleaded to have the opportunity to, to have pass-fail if they wanted. So they have uh, acquiesced to that. Uh, some other institutions have responded similarly, and then some others have said, no, it's important for grades to, to remain in the traditional manner because it, it eases with transfer and stuff. So there have been a lot of uh, growing pains in transferring over from uh, in person to online. And as you make that transition online, you got to have internet access to do those assignments. How are schools ensuring that students in Alabama have that internet access when libraries are closed and, you know, maybe the campus doesn't have, uh, you know, free Wi-Fi? Like, how, how is that being ensured? Well, the community college system generally has, has looked into that a good bit and made sure that students could have access where they are. Certainly, they can go into the on the campus, and the high hotspots are working there. Uh, in some of the rural counties, the community colleges have gone out and actually put some hotspots in different places to make sure students can have access to the internet. It's not a perfect situation, and we're going to have to see how all that works. We do know that uh, actually enrollment for the summer for a lot of the universities is is somewhat stable. There is still interest in going to school, whether it's online or not. Uh, we just hope that same trend follows for the fall. And do you see this sort of closure extending into the fall? And do you have a plan for that, if that's the case, for Alabama? Yeah, well, none of us really have the tea leaves moving forward. You know, this is the first <laughs> time for everything. So what we have asked for the institutions to do is to give clarity as best you can. Uh, we did talk to the uh, all the colleges and universities to, to think about having most of your cl- or all of your classes online in the summer or if you're going to have uh, some on campus, go ahead and communicate that that's going to be the case. And then for the fall, be sure to be able to pivot should a situation change that would require us to be all online again. And with that transition, you know, from traditional classes to online, that means a lot of empty halls and empty libraries, empty classrooms, and, you know, people who used to have a job not having a job anymore. So that goes from educators down to administrative employees to custodians. Like, how are they being taken care of in this time? Yeah, right now, um, all the full-time faculty and staff are pretty much being taken care of at all our institutions. Certainly, the hour employees that are part-time, whatever, may have you know, indicated that we don't have work for them right now. But there is a commitment to, to identify the needs of these individuals and take care of them the best we can. Um, we've had some experience with, you know, transitioning, so we know that it doesn't necessarily mean there'll be less work on campuses when this kind of thing happens. It's just doing it in a different way. 
Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that it would be, you know, uh, custodians would be trained to do the deep cleaning that's required with this pandemic going on. Um, non-professorial workers, what, what sort of plans do they have for staying on campus and keeping with their job? Currently, um, most of the professional staff are either working at home or actually coming in and doing those services. We still have admissions. We have, still have need for people to send credentials out. we got, you know, bookkeeping and finance and all those things. And some of that can be done from distance. Like in my office, uh, all the finance people are working at home. They just beam into their computer and do processing there. They come pick up uh, the mail, you know, twice a week and take it home and process it. So there are ways to make this happen and do the safe distancing that I think all of us uh, should do. I would say we just need to listen to the governor and, and um, take her guidance on what we should do and when. And, you know, a big part of the college experience is visiting the campus. And so, of course, I would assume those visits are canceled for now. Well, for most campuses, there has been that. Uh, a lot of campuses have committed to actually have orientation done online. So they're developing uh, video vignettes or uh, conversations or scripts for those kind of activities. So that would be the alternative, I would assume. Yes. And, and of course, you know, the big ceremonies have also been canceled, like graduation, which is a significant point in somebody's life. But it is a credential that matters, and it will help in the long uh, life of those individuals in their work career, because a credential is very important these days to, to get a good quality job. Thinking about international students, that's a little different because uh, visa services have been indefinitely suspended in the U.S. So what is the plan for them? I've read that some institutions are suggesting that they take a gap year to complete internships. Well, some of it here in uh, America, yes, they could definitely do some things online. We have some institutions in the state that have some international students that are overseas finishing their spring courses. And I will say that a lot of the colleges and universities didn't really actually totally close. In the dormitories, we do have international students who were here um, at the point we all have to shut everything down. They're staying there. They're getting uh, food provided through the normal food service thing. There are actually students there that don't have access to Internet at home or, or perhaps were homeless and had situations that weren't very positive elsewhere, so they were allowed to stay on campus. We've done whatever we can to address the needs of the students, and I think that's the key component. Take care of your people first, then think about um, how you can best do this in the future and and prepare your structure so that you can pivot if you need to in the future. Talking on food, I read from a study from studentloanhero.com, there were a 1,000 students surveyed in the U.S., and a huge concern of theirs was food insecurity. So has your commission found that to be the case for Alabama? And um, how are colleges and universities making food available to the students? You said that maybe the cafeterias on campus are providing that food. or Yeah, and that's really only for the students that already signed up for a meal ticket right. uh, and, and continued their contract. So with the higher ed uh, perspective, you know, once they're adults, that doesn't necessarily perfectly provide it. But I will say that the federal government has actually brought in uh, a good bit of funds to help uh, keep the institutions functioning. So in Alabama, about $200 million was provided. $100 million is actually for students to help them um, address the, the financial shortfalls that would put them in a, a situation where they are not you know, don't have money for food or whatever. Um, there is a process at each institution to try to determine who is in most need for that. And then on top of that $100 million, there's another $100 million that's available for the institutions to address uh, expenses that are totally associated with the, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, that increase their cost in a certain way. 
So there is some support federally, but I don't know that it's going to be fully there. I would suggest for alumni, you know, look at your institution, see if they're uh, seeking your support to support students or to even support the institution at this point, because it is a transition point. We do believe that in the fall, uh, students will be less likely to uh, want to live on campus right off. Um, they're really concerned about making sure that um, they don't get sick. This is the first time in forever, and I've seen the data off and on, that when you ask high, uh, college students what's important, they actually put health care as one of the reasons. And um, that's that's been an amazing change. So they're going to want to be in a community like you know, Huntsville where there is access to good health care. Institutions that are far away from a place uh, that has good health care you know, may have some issues. And I do believe that campuses that are less residential will probably have more stable enrollment in the short term than those that actually have a large preponderance of people living on campus. So let's put the academic side uh, aside. <laughs> Talk about sort of the extracurricular programs. And of course, in Alabama, athletics is huge. <laughs> um, assuming that the hold on you know athletic activities and other extracurricular activities is lifted, what is going to be different this fall You know, when uh, college football comes back? Yeah, that's the big question. I think everybody would like the fall to be as close to normal as uh, we all remembered and experienced in our time in school. I just got my uh, order tickets uh, from my institution. You know, hope those can be utilized, but it is going to change. Some institutions have had to work a lot with their students just for, you know, counseling and guidance and uh, support. Athens State uh, in your area actually has a I guess, a, a bot that you can ask questions to, and it basically gets filtered to campus officials who can help um, answer their questions or concerns. And it's actually worked quite well. You have to automate. You have to put it in technology, but at the same time keep the human component, which is what college and university experiences are all about. Of course, and the human component is huge when you're trying to communicate with uh, the people who handle your loans and handle you know, all sorts of things that uh, determine your livelihood as a, as a college student. And in that vein, I was wanting to ask you about mental health. Of course, right now, it's fundamental for college students to have access to maybe telehealth visits with therapists and psychiatrists. What sort of resources are available to those students to maintain that healthy mindset? The colleges, universities are, are addressing with that particular issue. I will say that Alabama A&M has actually done some outreach with their students on the, the counseling component just to make sure that uh, the stress of uh, the whole uh, college situation changing and perhaps uh, income for the family changing can be addressed so that uh, people certainly will be you know, in a position mentally and psychologically to, to move forward with their educational experience and, and work in general. I think that's very important that we do address that, and I'm, I'm glad that there's something in place for that. There is some positivity going on with Alabama universities and colleges and you know, helping small businesses, large businesses across the state. And one of those examples I read about was, you know, Jacksonville State University helping Yellowhammer Brewing here in Huntsville. They helped inspect and approve the quality of the first batch of hand sanitizer that Yellowhammer produced. What's the future like for partnerships like this? Yeah, it really does give us a chance to, to rethink all our relationships. And uh, that's sort of what uh, moments of crisis do. And I was real pleased for that. And I will say that Jacksonville State's done a great job uh, actually giving guidance to the rest of us. They had a 
terrible situation two years ago with a tornado in the middle of spring. So they actually had gone online mm-hmm. during that semester to finish up. So even in other ways, they, they gave guidance to the rest of the academy on the how to, to do this transition in a most efficient way. And some of it was really working with the faculty and training them about how distance learning is not just a talking head uh, on a, a Zoom uh, interface. Let's think about the future. When, once all this is said and done, and we enter that you know new normal that everybody is talking about, what sort of changes are we going to see on campuses around the state? Like, are we going to see more social distancing in the classrooms? Are we going to see regular COVID nineteen testing on campuses? Um, what What would you say? Yes, I would say uh, definitely in the short run. Uh, I have talked to college presidents that have indicated that you know they'd like to start uh, having students come in the summer, um, but they would test everybody for temperature coming onto the campus as an idea, have social distancing in classrooms, and monitoring all the health conditions. So that's one scenario. And the other is to make sure that your classes are both online and in person. So perhaps you could offer most of the the informational components of a course uh, online, and then um, have components where the students can come in maybe in smaller groups uh, to interact with the faculty member about uh, the concepts and ideas that require conversation and debate. Is there any plan to freeze tuition at any of the institutions across the state? I would imagine that if you were to reduce the capacity per classroom, you'd have to add more classes, and that would be a higher tuition for students. Um, Is there anything with that? I do believe that there'll be a, a, a commitment to at least minimize that. We do know that if the pandemic uh, financially is tough for an institution, it's more difficult for families. So I think there'll be a sensitivity to that. Uh, based on different institutions' market, you may see some go up a couple percent and others not. And then distance learning sometimes has a differential cost uh, associated with it, and I think those uh, costs will be uh, reduced or stabilized so that we can do online and in the classroom at similar rates. You can see how Alabama's higher education institutions are responding to the COVID-19 crisis at ache.edu. This is the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville. I'm Katie Ganaway. We're exploring the new normal as we try to cope with our strange COVID-19 reality. Whether it's in the classroom, on the hiking trails, or at your favorite local business, many of us are wondering, is it safe? How do I protect myself and those around me? So let's dig into the science of safety with Dr. Neil Lamb, Vice President of Educational Outreach at the Hudson Alpha Institute for Biotechnology. He sat down with Brett Tannehill. Things are opening back up, and we're just about to start seeing what the new normal is here in Alabama. And even as businesses and other activities begin to reopen, we're still seeing a rising number of cases. And that's a little concerning. So plain and simple, tell us, is it safe to reopen? Brett, that's a question that unfortunately there isn't a simple yes or no to it. Um, Certainly, we have to begin going back to interacting with people, getting people back to work, opening up businesses. But we need to do it in a way where we are especially vigilant about practicing appropriate social distancing. Um, If we have symptoms, staying away from other people. And I'm going to use the M word, we really need to be wearing masks and facial coverings. 
Are you seeing that happening out in the community when you go out to the grocery store or wherever? Are you seeing people wear masks? I am not seeing it nearly as much as I would like. So earlier in tonight's episode of the Public Radio Hour, we heard from people involved with various parts of our society that are trying to find their new normal. So let's review uh, one by one some of the things we've heard so far. And Dr. Lamb, perhaps you can tell us how people can stay safe in these different environments. So first of all, Alabama's retail sector is starting to reopen its doors. How does coronavirus spread in an indoor setting like uh, a grocery store or a retail uh, big box store? And what can we do to maximize our personal protection? So we know that this virus spreads by respiratory droplets. And so those are droplets of vapor that come out of our nose and out of our mouth when we sneeze or cough, but also when we sing and even when we talk. And those droplets, if someone is infected, those droplets carry the virus and could we could directly inhale them. They could land in our nose or mouth, or they could land on a surface and we touch them with our hands, with our fingers, and then bring our fingers to our mouth or nose and infect ourselves that way. So the key is to be sure that you are maintaining appropriate distance from individuals, that you are very careful about what you pick up and touch, and that you, because you do not know if you have COVID-19, that you are wearing a facial covering to prevent your own spread of respiratory droplets to other people. So you've touched on a couple of things that I want to ask about. First of all, I've seen all sorts of computer modeling of how aerosol particles can spread from aisle to aisle in a store. Uh, How does that work if someone sneezes on one aisle? How safe or how dangerous is it for the aisles on either side of them? Yeah, I've seen some of those same uh, graphic um, animations and those models. So a lot of it depends on how high the aisles are, what the airflow is like. The data that I've seen is that while an uncovered, an unprotected sneeze can travel a significant distance, um, most of the virus we we believe is in larger droplets that are not going to spread beyond about six or seven feet. Now, the science is still not fully, um, hasn't fully answered the question about if this actually can also be found in even smaller droplets with a broader spread. But in general, I think you have less concern in other aisles than in the aisle that you're that you're in. But again, the data haven't fully clarified that for us. And as far as uh, picking up or touching a surface that might have been touched or contaminated by someone else, uh, what do we do in these sort of situations? Do we need to leave our groceries uh, outside? If the mail comes, do we do something special with the mail? Or is that being uh, a little uh, beyond what makes sense in terms of uh, cautiousness? I think that that, leaving your groceries outside for several days, I think it is taking it over and above what we need to. Certainly, if you have anxiety about it and it makes you feel better to do those kinds of things, then you can. But you want to be careful that, you know, obviously you're not leaving perishables outside and as right. the temperatures begin to get warmer. I think your, your key is minimize the number of things that you touch that you know other people have touched, door handles and faucets and those sorts of things. Um, I would not advise that people walk around wearing gloves because those tend to give us a false sense of security. Uh, and we, um, in fact, 
we do more touching of ourselves, touching our face with gloves on than we realize. So I think that is not an approach that you need to take. I would recommend putting on a facial covering. I think that's one of the best ways that you can um, help protect others. And if we all do it, then we are each um, holding each other's health in our hands. So what do we do with our groceries? So with your groceries, the data show that the virus doesn't live for incredibly long periods of time on on rougher surfaces. If you want to wipe down your groceries, you can bring them in your house, set aside a place on your countertop that is going to be the dirty spot and a place that is the clean spot, and you can wipe them down. You could certainly use, um, uh, you know, a a disinfecting wipe, but a simple um, solution of... uh, of alcohol and water, a disinfecting solution, you can spray on that as well and then move them to the clean, the clean spot. You want to be really careful that you are not washing your produce with soap and water because ingesting soap actually can make you sick. Right. So rinsing off your vegetables and fruit um, with a generous amount of water and then drying them um, is a perfectly appropriate way to, to provide yourself with an extra level of protection. We've also heard from the Land Trust of North Alabama tonight, as we're seeing a lot more people utilizing our community's natural and outdoor resources. More people than usual are on the hiking trails and walking around their neighborhoods, for example. How do the parameters for spread of coronavirus change in an outdoor setting? So in an outdoor setting, um, it's generally easier for us to distance. We're generally passing each other briefly. But again, I think you want to maintain an appropriate distance. If you're walking down the street and you see someone coming um, in the opposite direction towards you, cross over to the other side if you can. Um, move off the side of the, of the sidewalk. Um, you don't want to be traveling in large groups of individuals all moving in the same direction. That might mean that you need to pick outdoor spaces that are a little less popular or you need to go at off our times when everyone else is out walking. Um, it doesn't mean we should not be out enjoying the beautiful uh, spring weather. We just need to be a little more cautious about how close we are to others. And on the hiking trails, uh, add some extra distance perhaps between who's in front and who's behind? Yes, I think that that makes a good, uh, that's a good advice. Schools remain closed for the foreseeable future, but places of higher education are pushing to find ways to get their students back on campus and back into the classrooms. What sorts of things do we need to keep in mind about putting students into classrooms and lecture halls? I think that the groups that are making these decisions, certainly the groups that are making these decisions that I know of in Alabama, are really looking very closely at what does the science tell us, what are best practices. So I trust the decisions that they're going to make. But they're going to be looking at things like what kind of occupancy should we be thinking about in in dorm rooms? How many students should we be putting together in a classroom? And do we need to think about an option where a class that meets Monday, Wednesday, and Friday has half the group in in the room um, on Monday and the other half watching from home and then switches the order on, on, on the opposite days? So it's just thinking about how do we keep people appropriately spaced? How do we watch out for bottlenecks where people tend to congregate? How do we practice appropriate basic hygiene? And then how do we make sure that we have enough tests available that we can actively identify individuals that are at risk, um, 
that have that have been infected and then contact trace other people that might have been exposed. And finally, Dr. Lamb, looking ahead a little bit, restaurants, bars, and other places of entertainment will have to reopen at some point in some capacity. What do you think it will take for people to feel comfortable and safe in those types of settings? Everybody will have a different comfort level. Some folks will want to head back to their favorite restaurant as quickly as can be. Others will will hold back and watch. But certainly, uh, you know, restaurants are going to be doing the same sort of of distancing, the same sort of increased um, sanitation, making sure that you don't have people sitting uh, very close together at their booths, uh, potentially paging people by their phone when the table is ready so you don't have people handling um, multiple pagers, all those sorts of things that, that minimize contact with other individuals but still allow us to enjoy the things that, that we very social creatures crave. And Dr. Lamb, what, what is your uh, personal comfort level? I know I've been thinking about this a lot, and I can't quite put my finger on what it is that will make me feel good about going back to see a band or going back to my favorite restaurant. So for you personally, uh, w- what are your feelings on that? Have you been able to figure that out? It isn't that the, the $64,000 question? What, what is our own level of comfort? It's really tricky when we're dealing with something that we can't see, um, that we can see the impact of, but we don't even know if we potentially are an asymptomatic carrier, so our going to a band or going to a game could unintentionally infect those around us. I haven't quite put my finger on it yet either as to what are the conditions that will make me comfortable enough to willingly step into large crowds. Is there anything else about the science of safety regarding coronavirus that we should keep in mind? I think that we should recognize that just like other things associated with this virus, we are still learning our way through um, what the science tells us and what appropriate guidance is. Uh, It's going to be a while of making suggestions, learning additional data, modifying those suggestions. And I get that for your listeners, that's incredibly frustrating. We have lived in a world of uncertainty for weeks, and we want solid answers that we can make decisions on, that we can plan travel, and that we can go gather with with family and friends. We're beginning to get that information. We're beginning to open back up, but we're going to have to remain flexible and recognize that we just don't yet have all the answers. You can check out Hudson Alpha's COVID-19 education series titled Shareable Science Beyond the Blog at HudsonAlpha.org. Just look under the Educate tab for resources on COVID-19. We hope you're happy, healthy, and safe. And we want to thank Dr. Neil Lamb with Hudson Alpha, Dr. Jim Purcell of the Alabama Commission on Higher Education, Melanie Manson with the Land Trust of North Alabama, and Claire Aiello with the Huntsville-Madison County Chamber of Commerce, and Vince Perez with the Local Distancing Project. Our Public Radio Hour series on the new normal continues next week. You can also listen to the podcasts from past programs on the award-winning WLRH mobile app and at WLRH.org. Look under the Programs tab for the Public Radio Hour. You'll also find our info about COVID-19, resources for students and families, and how to help in the Tennessee Valley pages. 
tune into the Public Radio Hour Thursday nights at 7 here on 89.3 FM HD1. We'll see you next week, everybody.